Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, 
to the very end of the age. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to ask for your help this morning. We thank you for what we've just been singing, that uh, the Lord Jesus is indeed the light of the world, shining for all the world to see. And we pray that that light would shine this morning. We pray that that light would uncover the truth for us this morning and uh, strike it deep into our hearts. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And as you're sitting down, if you could uh, pick up uh, one of the Bibles again and uh, turn back to the passage in Matthew's Gospel we had read to us just a moment ago. It's page 1,000 in the church Bibles. Page 1,000. And uh, beginning at Matthew 27. And uh, let me add my welcome to, to Paul's and say a very, very happy Easter to you this morning. Uh, a great day, a great day for us to lift our spirits. Uh, but I also wonder, and I want to ask you this morning, uh, you might be feeling good this morning, you might be feeling joyous this morning, but what is it that makes you feel angry? What is it that makes you feel outraged? What is it that makes your blood boil? What gets you spluttering with indignation? Well, many things perhaps. Uh, But I guess for many of us, it could be uh, some sort of political scandal. You know, when those things are exposed, it can really make our blood boil. Or worse still, let's suppose uh, uh, there's a political scandal or injustice that someone's very sort of clumsily tried to cover up. There was a very infamous scandal and attempted cover-up way back in 19th century France. You might know about it. It's called the Dreyfus Affair. There was a man called Alfred Dreyfus who was falsely accused of spying by the French authorities. And they wanted a quick scapegoat because they'd just lost some valuable military information. And he was wrongly convicted of treason. And he was sent to Devil's Island. It's this tiny little island in the middle of the Atlantic a one-man prison in the middle of the Atlantic where no doubt they hoped he would be forgotten forever. It was quite simply an outrage. But scandals and cover-ups happen all the time, of course. Think of Watergate back in the 1970s. Think of all the other kind of gates since. Contragate, Camilla Gate, Flan Gate. Do you remember that from the Bake Off a couple of years ago? What an outrage. Uh, my favourite one's sometimes called Pleb Gates, but more imaginatively named Gates Gate. Uh, that's when Andrew Mitchell either did or did not use a certain word at the gates of Downing Street. Now, of course, some scandals are, are worse than others. Um, you might think way back to the 1930s. Joseph Stalin, what an outrage there, deliberately kept help from the Ukraine during a f- food shortage during the 1930s. Uh, He did it for political reasons, to suppress an independence movement. And it's estimated that between three and seven million Ukrainians died of starvation because of that cover-up and outrage. There was a a genocide that was kept hidden for years. But this morning, I want to remind us and draw us our attention to an even bigger scandal than that. You might have thought that could be... Surely that's going to be the worst scandal, but an even bigger scandal than that. And I want to suggest this morning that we remain in danger of being hoodwinked by an even more malicious cover-up. You see, we live in a world struggling desperately under the shadow of death, a world that is torn apart in so many different ways by wickedness and sin. The scandal is, though, that there is an answer to it. 
a real answer. But the scandal is that not enough people are, are taking advantage of it. And there are some who remain opposed to it, in the end, for personal gain, trying to hide it from others. It's a scandal that's exposed and uncovered in the reading that we've just had from Matthew's Gospel. Now, we're remembering this morning that the answer to death, the answer to a broken world torn apart by wickedness and sin, lies in Jesus, the risen Jesus. But Matthew shows us some trying to suppress that. The same people who had Jesus executed, trying to keep him firmly shut away in a tomb. And when that fails, they spread lies about why he isn't there. But in Matthew's careful arrangement of this little piece of essential history, we see that Jesus will have none of it. And nothing can stop the life that he came to bring bursting out all over the world, in fact. So how does Matthew, the gospel writer, want us to respond to his expose of this attempted cover-up? Well, I hope we're going to see this morning that he wants at least two things. He wants, firstly, for us to discover life for ourselves as disciples of Jesus. And then he wants us to uncover life for others as disciples of Jesus. So two things, discover and uncover life as disciples of Jesus. And we're going to look at that in two parts this morning. And we're going to start by tracing the story from when the women watching from a distance, right at the beginning of our passage, chapter 27, verse 55, when those women saw Jesus crucified and killed to the point when the same women, some of those women anyway, see Jesus risen and very much alive in chapter 8, verse 9. And Matthew's saying to us this morning, be like them. Discover life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Discover life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is, discover life as one who clings to Jesus for life and hope and then follows him as Lord and teacher. And so we begin with those women on the day that Jesus died. Chapter 27, verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance. And what, did they, what did they see? What did they see as they were watching? Well, we heard it. On Friday, they saw Jesus crucified, publicly hung out for exposure. They saw Jesus bear the curse of God, the judgment of God for sin, crying out in anguish. They felt the ground shaken. They saw everyone around them terrified. They were seeing something momentous and an injustice done to an innocent man of great importance, but now he's dead. That's what they saw. Now we can imagine that for Jesus' disciples at the time and his followers, it must have been at the very least very confusing, this mismatch between what they know about Jesus and what they have just seen. But it's remarkable, isn't it? They don't give up entirely on what they know. Take the rich man from Arimathea, verse 57, the man called Joseph, who had become, we're told, a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is dead. But Joseph isn't afraid to align himself with, uh, with Jesus publicly. He goes right to the top, uh, to Pilate himself, and asks for the body. And because he knows whatever may have just happened, that Jesus was a great man, 
He gives him a great burial, a really great burial. He knows Jesus as, in fact, greater than himself and buries Jesus in his very own tomb, cut out from the rock at great expense. And then we read in verse 62, a slight shift in the story as the chief priests and the Pharisees seize an opportunity because of that tomb. They ask Pilate to seal the tomb and place a guard and Pilate readily agrees. And just for a moment, let's think about it from their perspective. Okay, so we've got the the chief priests and the Pharisees. They represent, I guess, the religious establishment, uh, both the the formal side of it and the informal side of it. These are the people who conspired to have Jesus executed in the first place because he was a a threat to their authority and position. He was undermining their hard-won position in society. He made them look foolish. Now, they knew that he was innocent of any wrongdoing, but they, they have him killed anyway. And they want that to be the end of it. Hence the seal on the stone and the guards. Pilate is similar. He too knows that Jesus was entirely innocent. But he wants some political peace and quiet. He wants all this Jesus business dead and buried and forgotten. So it's not surprising he agrees to their plan. I guess this stage in the cover-up is is a bit like that moment in the Dreyfus affair when the French authorities sent poor Dreyfus off to Devil's Island. Very, very much hoping that would be the last of it. And indeed, that same desire to keep Jesus firmly in the tomb survives today. Every year at Easter, there are scholars and teachers willing to say that he never left it. They uh, point us to the Gospels, to Matthew's Gospel, for example, and say, this isn't real history. Trust us. We're the experts. And so they protect their, their own privileged position and maintain the status quo. But I think we shouldn't be too hard on them because actually there's a, there's a part of all of us who, that, that wants to keep Jesus firmly in the tomb. That's right, isn't it? You know, it would be much more convenient if he just stayed there, wouldn't it? So much less disruptive, uh, so, less, so much less demanding of our lives. So we could just get on with our lives as we saw fit. It would be convenient, really, if he just stayed in the tomb. Uh, so I wonder this morning if, if some of us here this morning are, are perhaps rather like the other character in the passage so far. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph is a really interesting case study. He, he, on the one hand, he clearly has great respect for Jesus, doesn't he? And he doesn't mind if anyone knows. He gives up his own tomb at great personal cost. But as he did so, I think we'd have to say that he was probably expecting Jesus to stay in that tomb forever. He wasn't expecting what happened next. So let me ask you this morning, are you perhaps a little bit like Joseph? You know, you have great respect for Jesus in all sorts of ways. You don't even mind if anyone knows it. That's why you're here this morning. But for you, Jesus is still effectively in the tomb. He has no present hold on you. And you haven't yet quite grasped hold of what he came to do. Well, if that is you, then you need to go through 
an experience rather like that of the women here at the beginning of chapter 28. Let's pick up the story again. Friday comes to an end. Saturday passes the Sabbath day. And we're told in verse 1 of chapter 28 that at dawn, Mary Magdalene and another woman called Mary go to the tomb. But something has happened. An angel of the Lord has come in in an earth-shaking power and rolled the stone from the front of the tomb. Uh, This angel, he's so terrifying that the guards have been paralyzed with fear. Perhaps they're also rather fearful because now they can see inside the tomb and there's nothing in it. It's very striking. The last time in Matthew's gospel we met uh, an angel of the Lord was way back in chapter one of the gospel. Back then, the angel of the Lord told Joseph to give Mary, uh, Mary's son, the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Well, now here, right at the end of the gospel, the angel of the Lord is back again. He reappears to declare the job done and finished. And the angel's message for the women is indeed one to turn fear into joy for those with ears to hear. Verse 5 This is what he says, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. This is why the stone was moved. Not to let Jesus out, he's he's gone already. But to uncover the empty tomb for the women to see. To see he's not there. He has risen. Go tell the disciples, the angel says. He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. Women hurry away, afraid yet filled with joy. But they, haven't, they don't just see the empty tomb, though that would have been enough. They also then see Jesus himself. And he repeats the message, go and tell, go and tell. I'd have to say that uh, my very few attempts at plumbing have not been very successful. I did have a a phase where I thought I'd try and get to grips with this in the DIY around our house. And I decided when I did give it a try that I'd do it properly with all, you know, copper pipes and solder and that sort of stuff. But it didn't go well. If you've ever done any plumbing, you'll know that there's a sort of tense moment when you, you turn on the water again to test the joints. And invariably, inevitably, in fact, probably every single time I would turn the water on and water would squirt everywhere. Now that proves my incompetence. This proves my incompetence even more because my first instinct when that happened was not actually to go for the tap, but to actually try and cover up the joints with my hands, which is really stupid, of course. It didn't solve the problem, just got me even wetter. Nothing was going to stop that water getting out. Likewise, with the tomb in Matthew... The tomb failed. The tomb was there to contain and hide the dead body of Jesus. Some would still love to keep Jesus in the tomb, out of sight, out of mind. But Jesus will not be held by the tomb. Death has turned to life. Nothing can hide it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can contain it. And to uncover that for us, the Lord has carefully placed witnesses for us. Those women who who saw Jesus die, they were standing at a distance, but they saw him die. 
And in chapter 27, verse 61, they see him buried. They're witnesses of that as well. They see that dead body go into the tomb, the, the, the stone rolled in front of it. They see now the stone rolled away so that they can see inside the tomb. And they can see that it's empty. And they hear the testimony of the angel of the Lord about Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. And as they hurry to tell the others, then they see Jesus. And they hear his voice saying to them, greetings. Now some would still love to cover all this up. Would love us to dismiss this. It's fantasy, they tell us. It's wish fulfillment. It's some kind of group hallucination, whatever that is. But I wonder if you noticed in the passage, in fact, highlighted three times, these women were afraid. It seems to me very much that fear is is, just not compatible with wish fulfillment. You see, the fear shows us that these women experienced something unexpected, something they would never dreamt of, something remarkable, something dramatic. Hence the fear. And it's only as a a word of comfort comes from someone else, from outside of themselves, first from the angel and then from Jesus himself, that that fear can turn to joy. Let me say to you this morning that if you, if you identified with Joseph earlier, this is your moment. See, what's happened here is that the, the women begin this episode as, they, as they're going to the tomb. Rather, as we left Joseph earlier, they, they come to the tomb to honour Jesus' dead body in some way. But they leave the episode utterly transformed. That's what Joseph needed to go through too. We don't know whether he ever did. We're not told. But the thing this morning is that you certainly could. We all certainly could. And let me say that the imagery here is is very powerful, very exciting, very wonderful. The women have have come here to honour a dead Jesus, but they end up clasping onto a risen Jesus. Verse 9. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And I hope you might be thinking this morning, I want to do that too. Well, this would be a great time, a great day to do that. In fact, when we take communion together uh, very shortly, remembering Jesus who was crucified but was raised, this would be a great moment, an opportunity to clasp onto the risen Jesus by faith. But I do also want us to see this morning that wonderful, though all of that is, it is in fact not the end of the story. Notice what's repeated here. Both the angel and Jesus himself say what? Go and tell. Go and tell. This is our final point this morning. Having discovered life for ourselves in Jesus Well, let's now uncover it for others. Uncover life as a disciple of Jesus. Let's pick the story up again at verse 11 of chapter 28. 
While the women are on their way, the guards, uh, they're now woken from their paralysis, their fear, uh, they rather sheepishly, I imagine, go and tell the chief priests what, what's happened. Now, clearly, the chief priests don't want this news to get out. So they bribe the guards with a large amount of money to tell a different story that they fell asleep and Jesus' disciples stole the body. It's rather like that moment in a modern scandal when those responsible realise they need to act quickly to distract people from the truth. Uh, So they hide all the evidence that they can and they spread some misinformation. It's what's called whitewashing. In fact, even with this scandal, the the resurrection, uh, people continue to spread lies about it. Jesus didn't actually die, they say. The different gospel accounts don't match up, people say. Even today, I was noticing on the, on the BBC website, um, people say there are other gospel accounts that have been forgotten that tell us about the real Jesus and don't mention the resurrection. None of these things are true. All of these, in the end, are pretty quickly we can dismiss. And if you want to investigate that for yourself, then the Christianity Explore course that Paul mentioned just a moment ago would be an ideal place to come and really search those issues through. But none of those lies stand up to much examination. But the good thing is that we find out that the lies and and misinformation didn't work back then and they needn't work today. In fact, as we look back then, we can see that the cover-up utterly failed. It backfired. Remember, the original plan of the chief priests was to make sure that Jesus' disciples couldn't steal the body. Uh, So the seal on the tomb and the guards assure us Absolutely, the disciples didn't steal the body. Something else happened. And uh, there were witnesses of it. The women saw it. So when the body is gone, they try another tactic and put out the, the, lie, the lie that the body was stolen. But even that doesn't work. See, because it doesn't stop the women getting to the other disciples. Look at... Verse 11, while the women were on their way, all of this is happening. And they get to the other disciples. They get to the other disciples. And the disciples then do as Jesus tells them and go into Galilee. And there they too see him alive. They can hardly believe it. And so Jesus himself speaks and addresses their doubts. See, in his death and resurrection, Jesus has done something which has begun to reunite heaven and earth under his rule. And under that rule, he has the authority to give life, complete freedom from death, to anyone who will become his disciple. And so their task is to go and make disciples of all the nations, spreading that life and hope in a struggling and broken world. So far from from ending There and then, the disciples are sent out to make disciples who make disciples who make more disciples. It's like a chain reaction. And where does this chain reaction end? Is it, well, it's even reached us this morning, hasn't it? Many here this morning who have 
been touched by that chain reaction. We can trace our lineage back, our, our discipleship genealogy, if you like, all the way back to these 11. But it doesn't even end with us. Having discovered life in Jesus ourselves, we are then to uncover it for others. I think one of the very strange things about scandals and cover-ups across history is that just how many people pick the wrong side. It's extraordinary, especially in retrospect, that they would do so, but they do. Even when they know they're wrong, it would seem, they still stick with it. In the Dreyfus affair, even when it was really clear that Dreyfus was innocent, huge numbers stuck on the side of the authorities, defending them, perhaps out of a misplaced loyalty or patriotism, or perhaps they were, perhaps they were just stubborn. It was the it's same with the Watergate scandal, of many people siding with the president right to the bitter end. But just imagine being on the wrong side of the biggest scandal and attempted cover-up in all of history on the same side as those who would hide the life that can be had in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sins, but is risen from the dead. Imagine being on the wrong side of that. It would be a very stubborn and foolish thing to do, for one thing, personally, missing out personally on what Jesus came to do. And would it not be Wrong towards others as well. It's a little bit like siding with Joseph Stalin. Remember Joseph Stalin who kept food from others, denied them life for personal gain? Wouldn't it be a bit like that? And the good news that we remember this morning is that we don't actually have to just imagine being on the right side. Uh, genuinely on the side of the angels genuinely on the side of truth and life. Why do we not have to just imagine it? Well, because as the angel said, Jesus is risen. He is no longer in the tomb. Where is he? He's at the right hand of his father, but he's also, we're told here, right at the end of the passage, with his disciples, with us this morning, uncovering resurrection life across all the world. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to think of those women at the tomb. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. We want to give you thanks, Father, that you uncovered the truth, that you uncovered the Lord Jesus, that you uncovered life, that we might clasp onto it, that we might discover it for ourselves. Help us to do that this morning. But as we do so, help us to have that strong desire to uncover it for others as well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.